Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, a few things as we get started here. A couple fun ones first and a couple more serious ones after that. First of all, I know we've been tracking the status of our worship pastor over here. You know, Keith Pipes checked out a couple of weeks ago on us and we got replaced with a Smooth Keith last week, but evidently Smooth Keith was a very, very temporary replacement. I don't know if you could tell this morning, but Scruffy Keith was here today. And so Scruffy Keith may be on his way back to Keith Pipes real soon. Secondly, I want to commend all of you. Like, your commitment to who you are is astounding. Like, I'm so like, impressed with just the identity of who we are. We gave you an entire extra hour this morning to get here, and the, the number of people in here from 1030 to 1040 still managed to triple like, your commitment to never be here on time is astounding. And I, like, it comforts me. Like, I know who you are. And, and I'm just, I'm really impressed today. Like, you had, you had to be a, a whole 70 minutes later than last week, and you still pulled it off. So, good work. Um, it's good to see all of you now. We'll try to always keep that in mind when we're getting started. Um, but seriously, I hope you enjoyed the extra hour of sleep. I was glad to get it. The more serious things... Um, we mentioned last week that we've got a family in the church that's in financial need that we would really like to help out the same way that we see in the book of Acts. And so if you came this week prepared to give specifically to that um, in addition or separate from or however you want to do it to what you usually give, if you've got your gifts ready on the way out, you know, we've got the boxes back there. And if you'll just make sure that in the memo or on the envelope or whatever that you tell us that that's designated uh, for the benevolence for the family in the church, we'll make sure that all of that goes in that direction. So just wanted to remind you of that and make sure that you note that the right way so that we get that uh, where it's supposed to go. And then also at the end of the service, you probably see that we've got the elements out for the Lord's Supper, and so our kids will be coming back in uh, to take the Lord's Supper with us and to worship with us, and so there'll probably be some point during our teaching time that I'll send somebody to go get them when we've got about five minutes to go, and I don't want that to throw you off too much, but we can just go ahead and start focusing our hearts and minds in that direction even right now uh, as we're studying the Bible together. So that's some of the stuff going on. We're in Acts 12 today. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or on your devices, it'll be on the screen as well. And I'm always hesitant to say this. Like I, this feels like one of those things that maybe you're not supposed to say, but I'm going to say it because of that. This is one of my favorite chapters. You know, and the reason you're not supposed to say it is, but don't you like every chapter? Like, well, I do like some chapters better than others. And this is, I think, one of my favorite chapters, just the way the whole thing plays out. And, and I hope that it, it hits you that way today, too. Um, but as we work through it, I'm just going to ask you to be doing what we do every week, this God-centered approach to studying the Bible, where we would say we're going to depend on God, that he has to do a work during this time that we can't do. And so we're going to pray in just a minute and ask him to do that. And then we're going to focus on God. And as I read Acts 12 out loud, I'm going to ask you to be listening for what does this teach us about God, that that would be the primary and foundational starting place for anything that we hear and learn today. And then out of that truth, what's God saying to us? That, that God does want to change us. We're going to be changed by God as we encounter him. So we're going to examine our hearts and say, okay, if this is true about God, what's he saying to you and to me and to our church right now at this time in our life? And then at the end, we're saying that, okay, if anything that's actually going to happen, the stuff that God's telling us, the things he wants to do in us, we need him to do it. And so it has to be powered by God. And so we're going to pray again and ask him to do that and to plan it in us in such a way that as we go out into the world that we're taking that truth with us and sharing it with others and pointing other people to God. And so that's what we're going to do right now. If you want to pray with me, we'll jump into Acts 12.
Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the privilege of studying the Bible together. Thank you for the promise that your spirit is here with us to teach, to soften our hearts, to open our eyes spiritually to see you and to know you. And I ask that you will do that during this time. Please teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. Help us to see you and know you and love you and trust you more than ever because of the work that you are doing in our hearts right now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up, quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because of their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, "'The voice of a god and not of a man!' Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. 
But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. All right. What's that teach us about God? And only 25 verses this week, right? That's kind of short for me. We'll make up for it next week. What stands out to you? God answers the prayers of his people. It looks really, really bad at the beginning of this chapter for the church. And by the time you get to the end of the chapter, things are looking really, really good for the church. And the turning point right here. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The church is praying, and God's listening, and God's answering, and it changes everything we see in the whole chapter. What else stands out to you? <laughs> God makes the impossible. possible. I laugh because I've actually been thinking about this word a lot this week. I've just encountered it in different devotionals and some reading. And it's a word we've got to use. Like, there are things that are impossible for us, but they're not impossible for God. And this encounter that we have with God in prayer transitions us from, hey, this is impossible. Like, like, it's impossible for the church to get Peter out of prison. It's impossible for the church. Like, at that point in time, they've got no political power. They've got no clout in the world. Herod is king. Like, it is impossible for them to overcome Herod. But all that's possible for God. Um, one of the places I kept getting directed to was in Genesis 18. That, I mean, directed to this week. In Genesis 18, when God shows up one more time to repeat his promise to Abraham and Sarah and they laugh because it's been so long now that there's just, yeah, we've heard you say this before, right? I'm too old, she's too old, this isn't happening. They laugh, and God's response is, is anything too hard for the Lord? But yeah, it seems impossible to you. And it's interesting to me that it doesn't even seem like he gets mad at them laughing about it. Like, he understands how impossible it seems. So much so that when Isaac's born, you know, Isaac means he laughs. It's like God comes back and makes a joke out of the whole thing. Remember when you didn't believe me? Remember when you laughed and thought I wasn't going to do this? Well, we're going to laugh about you laughing now because I did this. But is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Like all these things, that they really are impossible for you. They're not too hard for him. He makes impossible things possible. What else? God uses angels and the way that Hebrews 1 says it I'll flip there real quick are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation God uses angels 
as ministering spirits sent to serve his people. You know, every one of these so far, when you talk about the prayers that we offer and God making the impossible possible and angels, is this reminder that there's a spiritual realm that exists above, beyond, around what we can see and hear and touch with our hands, that there's a reality and a large portion of reality beyond the reality that we can perceive. And faith is believing that God is God over the whole reality. Everything you can see and everything you can't see. Everything you can touch and everything you can't touch. Everything that you can perceive and everything you can't perceive. And when you're talking to him, you're talking to the one who sees all of it, understands all of it, is in control of all of it, and, and knows perfectly how to bring this spiritual realm, where he is God over everything in the spiritual realm, into relationship with the physical world that we see and somewhat understand, don't really understand as well as we pretend we do sometimes, but that to keep in mind that just what you see is not everything going on. And that this is why we pray. Because it is so easy, listen, it's so easy for us to function in our lives and even for us to function in the church, and I'm going to say, I mean, always in the church, but especially in the Western church, in a way where we just function like the materialistic world, like where we base everything we do on what we can see and what we have and our resources and what we can plan and what we can do in our own strength and our own power and our own abilities, and we just churn out more natural stuff in this natural world. And that's not what God's called us to as his people. That's not the, the type of, like he's doing something bigger than that. Now, he often works through the natural stuff. One of the things that stood out to me is really funny is this angel miraculously shows up, miraculously sets Peter free, and he's like, hey, put your clothes on. I'll be like, put his clothes on for him. Like you just knocked the shackles off his wrist. Do <laughs> you see the, kind of the tension there? Like it is that God does these supernatural things, and God also does some very natural things. And God's got over both of them. And God's going to show up in your life sometimes, and you'll be like, Put your clothes on. <laughs> Do what he says. Like that's, that's still him at work, right? And then there's other times where it's like, you can't, you can't get these shackles off your arm. God's going to knock them off. He goes, this is me, and you're going to know it's me doing it. But yes, God uses angels as ministering spirits sent to serve his people. What other truths do you see? <laughs> it is not wise... To try to please people over God. This is a great application for us. The way we see it with Herod here, Herod decides to flex his political muscles, right? He lays violent hands on the church, kills James, one of the three in the inner circle with Jesus. I mean, this is a huge death in the early church. But then this right here, when he saw that it pleased the Jews. This is politically motivated for Herod. He's people-pleasing. He's consolidating power. He's drumming up support. They like that I did this, so you know what? I'll arrest Peter too. I already got James, I'll get Peter. Here's how this ends for Herod. The Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. You can please people for a while. You may be able to play that game for 
30 or 40 or 50 years. And at some point, it will not pay off. Like at some point, they will not be able to give you anything that really matters. And you can live your life to please people and you can be a slave to what they think and what they want and their opinions. Or you can believe that God is the God overall. That God is the one in control. That God is the one working out his plan and fulfilling his purposes. And you can say, I'm going to live for him. I'm going to trust. You can please people or you can trust God. And listen, those things don't overlap. You will, either, you will choose to please people and at some point trying to please people will make you not trust God. Or you can choose to trust God and trusting God will mean you just, it doesn't mean that you deliberately displease people, it just means you stop thinking about it. Like I'm trusting him, I'm looking to him, I'm following him. And this, they may agree, they may not. I don't even know if I'm going to know because I'm listening to him. It's not wise to try to please people over God. We definitely get that lesson in this chapter today. What else stands out to you? What's that? The order of things happening? Say more what you mean. The order of the way things happen in verse 23. Yeah. Yeah, it, it seems like, and you know, Luke doesn't give us all the details here, but it seems like something happened immediately. Like in that moment, Herod's taking glory for himself instead of giving glory to God. And in that moment, he's struck and becomes sick in some way. Like something that is drastic enough that it's directly connected to that moment of, yeah, this is... This is God's response to Herod acting like he's God instead of acknowledging that God is. But then it does also sound like there may have been a little bit of process here of you know, hours or days or weeks where when he got struck, he's really, really sick and something happens intestinally. He's eaten by worms and eventually dies from it. And so it may have been drawn out for a week or two. You know, it is hard to tell in verse 23. And I think probably Luke's point is See how Herod starts in this chapter. See how Herod ends in this chapter. The details of how Herod gets there, here's the detail you need to know. God did it. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, there is a little bit of... Immediate this moment, God triggers it. Now, it plays itself out over the next few days, possibly. Um, like he's dying, and then he dies. What else? God is even working in our disbelief. Say why, explain why you're saying that. Yeah, I've thought about this a lot this week, both with Peter and with the church, and I've tried to decide which way to take it, and I can't decide, and so I'm just going to say both things, but God is even working in our disbelief. Like with Peter, for a while here, he doesn't think that the angel's actually setting him free. Like he thinks it's just a vision. And also with the church, like they're praying for God to set Peter free. God answers that prayer and Peter shows up at the door and what do they think? There's no way Peter's free, <laughs> right? Rhoda's imagining something over here. And so like part of me wants to say, did they really believe what they were praying for? 
You know, does Peter really believe that God can set him free? Does the church really believe that God would answer this prayer and miraculously set him free? Part of me wants to say that. And, and I think there's probably a piece of that where God, I do feel like you can say this safely as you look throughout the whole Bible, God works bigger than what our faith is. Like he does things way bigger than what we believe. It's just what we said about Abraham and Sarah a minute ago. Like, yes, Abraham believes, and then Abraham struggles to believe a lot, and there's this back and forth, and then God does everything he ever said, whether they're getting it or not. Um, and, and we get that with the church. But then the other thing I kept thinking was, you know how there's, a, there's, there's like the, the shock, surprise, or the unbelievable, we'll use the word, that's unbelievable. And we don't really mean I can't believe it. What we mean is it's just so great that I can't hardly believe it. <laughs> like, I, I believe it. I know it's happening. It's just too good for me to really comprehend and believe. And I think that's part of what's going on here, too. Like, like they're, really at, they're really asking God to do this. But when God does it, it's so great that they're still like, okay, I know that he's done it. I just can't believe he's done it. And so that then pushed me to this. And I think this is a good application for us. Do you pray for stuff? That would be so great when God does it that if he ever does it, you still won't be able to believe that he did it. That you'll look it right in the face and be like, I know you did this and I can't believe that you did it. Like, would you dare to pray for stuff like that? Would you believe that God can do stuff like that? Or do you box in all the stuff you pray for? And it's like, hey, here's all the stuff that, yeah, I could see all this happening, and I want this to happen in my life, and I can imagine this stuff, and right here's what it would be. And if it happens, yeah, it would be great. But it also, if it happens, I could also point to like 20 different natural things that led to this, and I could explain everything away and be like, no, this is this, this is this. And it would be good, but yeah. Or do you dare to believe that God's going to do the type of stuff where you would look, and no matter how many times you looked at it for the rest of your life, you would just keep saying, I can't believe it. This is unbelievable that he would do. I know he did this. He did this. Only he could do this. And so pray for stuff that you can't hardly believe could happen. I really think that's a great application for us out of this text today. Believe God for stuff that you can't believe. <laughs> believe God would do stuff that will blow your mind. That, it, that you're like, I'm going to dare to pray for this, but even if it happens, when it happens, I'll still think, surely this can't be happening. Because <laughs> isn't that what's going on with them to a certain extent? Like, it's not that, that they believe God enough to pray and to ask. It's just that God is so good and so big that he does the kind of stuff that even when they see it, it's still like, I cannot believe this. That's who he is. Like, it's not, oh, yeah, that's God, I understand, I got him figured out, that's the kind of thing he does. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. No, they're in awe. Like, this is all right here. Like, he showed up, and he answered, and he did exactly what we asked, and he did it in such a massive, spectacular, and, and at the last minute, like, exactly when we needed it, when we were most desperate. Like, like tomorrow morning, Peter's dying. I mean, Peter thinks he's done, right? Like, he's... I guess this is it. Herod's got me. There's no way out. Like so much so they don't even think that the angel's letting him out. Like I mean, it's almost an acceptance there of well, God's showing me a vision. But and then God's doing something that none of them can. Like even after He does it, they can't wrap their mind around. They can't wrap their mind around Him. They know Him more, but they also know to be amazed by Him more. That's what they know. He's more amazing than we thought. <laughs> 
He's bigger than we thought. There's, more, there's even more to him than we would have expected. There's so much more about him that is so incredible that it is, like it is unbelievable, but we believe it. It's unbelievable here, but we believe it here. What else stands out to you? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more, is another way, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us in Christ Jesus and in the church throughout all generations, forever and ever. Like, this isn't just a promise for Peter back then. Everybody forever. Like, immeasurably more. Whatever you can ask, whatever you can imagine. And it's not just. It's not just that he's going to do more than you can ask or imagine, immeasurably more. You can't even quantify it. And that power comes to live and work in his people. That is his promise to us. I was texting with a friend this week, and I pulled this up before I came up here. We had been talking about this very thought, and one of my devotionals this week was Acts 12. And you know, God does that sometimes, just the timing of it is so clear. And there's a section there was that, that do we dare to pray with this type of faith? And he said, God baptize us with holy audacity and divine confidence. He's not wanting great men, but he's wanting men who will dare to prove the greatness of their God. But God, but prayer, beware in your prayer above everything of limiting God by fancying that you know what he can do. Think of what he can do of how he delights to hear Christ, of your place in Christ, and then expect great things. And I think that is what we're seeing here, and that is what Ephesians 3.20 is. What else stands out to you? Oh, that's all right. You want me to give you a second, or you want me to... Get let somebody else talk and then circle back around if your brain starts working again. All right, awesome. God doesn't like it when you disrespect him. That is very true. The understatement is perfect. Because Luke understates some things in this chapter. God doesn't like it when you disrespect him. Listen, God's glory is a very serious thing. And for you to take the praise of God or the place of God in your heart or in your life before other people is a really, really dangerous thing for your own heart. Like what happens to Herod here, what you see physically played out is really a a visible illustration for you of what happens to all of us in our hearts when we put ourselves in the place of God. Like this is the way that you are eaten up inside and you die spiritually when you assume the role of God in your own life. And and the thing about God doesn't like it when you disrespect him. God's glory is so valuable. God is so valuable that for us to discount it, for us to lessen it, for us to to disrespect God, is the the core of all sin. This is the infinite price that we owe God. This is why sin is so awful. 
because of how infinitely valuable God is. Like To fall short of that is to fall infinitely short of that. And the punishment that deserves, the price that deserves to be paid for that is infinite because of how glorious God is. And so that's true. But also this, God knows that this is best for you. That his glory is best for you, most satisfying for your soul. When he offers you himself, he is lovingly offering you what is best for you. And so it's not just like God's over here like, i got to protect my glory, and if they don't, they don't love my glory, here's what I'm going to do to them. It's not that type of love for his own glory. It's a love for his own glory that says, this is the only gift in the whole universe that I can give you. There's nothing else for you except what's contained in and connected to my glory. And he's saying, and I want you to have that. Like he loves you enough that he wants you to have what's best for you. And so there's these warnings. If you're missing it, you're missing it. You're, You're choosing empty and vain and worthless things. And he's shouting to get your attention and to draw you back to him. What else stands out to you? God's word endures. He wins. Listen, Jesus has already won. When he said it is finished, he meant it. It's done. You think about this chapter. This is why I love so much about this chapter. When it starts, Herod's powerful, disciples are dying. Peter's in prison, and the church is in trouble. Right, is that a summary of that first chapter there? Herod's powerful, disciples are dying, Peter's in prison, the church is in trouble. We get to the end of the chapter, Herod's dead, Peter's free, the church is going on mission again, and the word of God is growing. Like, I mean, do you see the complete reversal from the beginning of this chapter to the end of this chapter? Herod's powerful, Herod's dead. Peter's in prison, Peter's free. Disciples are dying, disciples are going on mission. The church is in trouble, the church is growing. God flips everything on its head in one chapter. And think about this, what does the church do? Like, How does this come about? The only thing the church does is pray. And I hate to say it that way, but you've got to say it that way. The only thing the church does is the most important thing the church can do. The only thing the church does in this whole chapter is pray, and God flips everything on its head. Do you believe that God does stuff like that? Do you believe that God wins? Do you believe that God is winning right now? When Herod's powerful and James is dying and Peter's in prison and the church is in trouble, do you believe that God's winning? Because he was. <laughs> like he wasn't even, Herod wasn't even close to stopping the church. Herod's been dead for almost 2,000 years. Jesus is still alive right now. I was thinking about that as we were singing Ancient of Days. Like, throw them out there. Who, who do you want to, world leaders? Most powerful people, Napoleon? Dead. Hitler? Dead. Herod? Dead. Caesar? Dead. Who else? Who else do you want to throw out there? Who, who comes to mind for you? And they can be good ones too. Washington? Dead. Lincoln? Dead. Stalin? Stalin dead. 
Genghis Khan, dead. He was a vicious one too, and he's still dead. Who else? Like really? I mean, and Muhammad, dead. Buddha, dead. Confucius, dead. Political leaders, religious leaders, dead. Jesus Christ is alive. Like he wins. His church is growing. Like still, still. Like Herod couldn't stop it then, but nobody's been able to stop it since then until now. There is something different about Jesus. There is something different about Christianity. And that's really what I want us to see today as we head into the Lord's Supper. This huge flip that happens, this huge shift from the beginning of the chapter to the end of the chapter where Herod's powerful, now Herod's dead. Disciples are dying, now disciples are on mission. Peter's in prison, now Peter's free. The church is in trouble, the church is growing. Like when all that happens... I'm going to suggest to you that that change happens. Like it, it, it's so different from the beginning to the end because Jesus is so different as a king. You know, what Herod does here is really pretty normal. Like if you think about most human leaders, you can think about political leaders, you can think about religious leaders, you can think about pastors, you can think about people that stand right here and talk. Most of us, if you give us power... It goes to our head and it corrupts our hearts and we exalt ourselves and we, we are just a cesspool of pride and arrogance and self-centeredness. That's what human leaders look like when they get power. It's one of the reasons that I don't ever want you to think that I'm okay or that I've got it all together or that you should look at me differently because I stand up here. Because I'm not okay, I don't have it all together, you should not look at me any differently because I stand up here. Like every single thing that God says to you today, I need God to say to me today. But that's normal. That's normal for a human leader. That, that Herod looks like what it looks like. And then Jesus is so different. Like, Do you see how different of a king Jesus is compared to Herod? I wrote some of them down because I just, I just kept reflecting on it this week. Herod died because of his arrogance. Jesus died because of his humility. Herod's life was taken as punishment for his sins. Jesus gave his life as payment for your sins. Herod was a man who let himself be praised like a god. Jesus was the God who let himself be condemned by men. Herod's power went to his head and he used it to exalt himself. Jesus' love flowed out of his heart and he used his power to serve others. Herod's dead and his kingdom is done forever. Jesus is alive, and his kingdom is still growing to this day and will last forever. There is no other king like Jesus. Jesus is a better king than Herod. 
Jesus is a better king than any king you will ever know. Jesus is a better leader than any leader you will ever know. And Jesus is so different from anything else you know that Jesus can take anything you look at in your life and he can flip it on his head in a hurry. Like in the middle of the night at the darkest moment, shackled in prison when it looks like it's all over and it's too late and it's done. It's not all over with Jesus. It's not too late with Jesus. And it's not done with Jesus. Jesus does stuff you can't even begin to imagine. Jesus builds his church in ways you can't even begin to imagine. Like, Don't forget, in the scope of the book of Acts here, that's why this really happens. Because Jesus made a promise at the beginning that he was going to build his church. And that's what's at stake right here in Acts 12. Will this church live or die? Will Herod triumph over the church or will the church triumph in the world? Which one's it going to be? Will Jesus keep his promise? And Jesus keeps his promise. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus does. That's why you can trust Jesus. That's why you should believe Jesus. So I want to give you a minute here as you reflect on who Jesus is. What's God saying to your heart right now? Maybe specific ways he's speaking to your life or to us that you want to share right now. If that's true about Jesus, what's God saying to you? Okay. Okay. God loves us. I would love for you to believe that this week. I would love for me to believe that. Like to really, really believe that this God who does these things loves you this way. What else is God saying to you? God will always tell us the truth. What else? Sorry, I didn't hear that one. What was it? Jesus is God's son. You do see in the way that Jesus keeps his promises and the way that Jesus always wins, there is something you, like Jesus is not just another good teacher. And he's not just another prophet. Like There is something unique about him. He is different than anybody else who's ever been on this earth. He is the son of God. He is God the son. Like co-equal with the father. Sharing the full nature, divine nature of the father. What else stands out to you? Pray with expectation. <laughs> Pray with expectation. Will you pray with expectation for the way that God wants to build his church through us? Will you pray that God will do things 
in the next week, the next week, the next month, the next year, but just let's start with the next week. Would you pray this week that God will do things in the next week that you would look at and you would go, I cannot believe that. I can't believe God did that. I know, I know that he said it. I know he says stuff like that, but can you believe that God did it? Hey, Tasha, if you want to grab the kids, we're going to take the Lord's Supper here in a second. Um, anything else? A few more minutes while our kids come in. What else stands out to you? Sometimes our choices, and you want to, while I'm writing this down, have an impact. Tell us what you're thinking there out of this chapter. Uh huh. Yeah, that where we started today with this spiritual realm that exists that's, that includes what's happening in the physical world but is beyond and around and above, that there's more going on than just what we see. You know, that ties into the eternal nature of what's happening there. And the things that we do here and now have significance eternally, matter eternally, one way or the other. And like... For you to pray like this matters forever. Forever. What else? One more thing. Two more things. Don't stop telling others. What God can do. What was the other one? Put your faith in God. Trust God and choose to obey. Hey, did y'all do such a great job finding your parents? I didn't even help you at all. Everybody got your kids. <laughs> like we, got, we got 14 things to write down. Good job, kids. Thanks. Trust God and choose to obey when he gives opportunities. And and the thing is, part of what this looks like in this chapter is believing that he can do things that look impossible to us. Like, leading you into places where it's like, this doesn't make any sense at all. But, I, like, he's the one leading me. Now, you don't, you don't go into stuff that doesn't make any sense just to put yourself in that position. You go when he takes you there. But for those of us that are, like, always, well, that doesn't make any sense. There's no way that could be what he's saying. And you full well know it's what he's saying. Then do it. Anything else? Because you had a lot to say. I don't want to cut you off.
God's timing is still perfect. When it's all crazy, look at him, God, not the circumstances. And that's so good for this chapter. If Peter looks at the prison and the shackles, this can't happen. Peter looks at God, this can happen. If the church looks at Herod and the prison, this can't happen. But the church looks at God, this can happen. I saw another hand, I think. Explain to us more what you mean. Don't get in the way of receiving God's grace and love. Yeah, and, and we're not deserving of receiving the grace and the love. But it, that is one of the things here, that the church is willing to believe that God will do great things. And it's not, well, do we deserve this or not? Like, like they're willing to trust God's grace to them. They're willing to trust the fact that God is willing to do things that we can't earn, that we don't deserve, that are impossible for us, that only he's strong enough to do, that we could never bring about. And so it is you know, trusting the extravagance of the grace God offers. Still a Hand, keep seeing it flash in there. Yeah. When things seem darkest and most desperate, God is still going to keep his promises. Kids, thanks for being patient with us. You had a lot to say right there. God was saying a lot to us. As we wrap up here, I'm going to point out one other thing. And I don't, I don't fully know what to do with this, and it's why I want to point it out. Like I don't want to stand up here like, here's all the answers, and this chapter is completely solved. And James died at the beginning of this chapter. James dies, Peter lives. I don't fully understand that. There's, there's a mystery sometimes in the way that God works. I also want you to think about what we learned from the church in that moment. James dies, and the church says we need to pray more. Because I think it would be easy for us when James dies in our life, whatever that looks like, but fine, God, you're just going to let us die? And I'm, what's the point in me praying? And they don't, that, that's not the way that faith responds to God. God, I don't understand, but I still trust you. And I'm going to dare to ask you again. James is dead, but I'm going to dare to believe that you can rescue Peter. I don't, I don't understand this, and I still trust you. 
I don't just trust you when I understand. I don't just trust you when I see what you're doing. I trust you right now when I don't understand. I trust you when I don't see. And I'm going to ask again. I'm still going to believe that you are who you say you are. Partly because Jesus is louder than James. I already know what you said in Jesus. And death isn't the end. And that's, that's the best answer I have for you in chapter 12 right here with James. Is if you want to go back to the end of chapter 7 when Stephen dies. Because James isn't the first one to die for believing in Jesus. But when you go back to the end of chapter 7 and God allows Stephen to peer into heaven. Right, split open and he sees into the spiritual realm and he sees the glory of God and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God and Stephen knows that's where I'm going right now. Here on earth we may understand why does James die, why does Peter live and here on earth we may look at Peter and say that's a miraculous rescue. James is a miraculous rescue because James doesn't stay dead. Stephen doesn't stay dead because Jesus didn't stay dead. Now, don't overlook the rescue that happens. Yeah, James died at the hands of Herod, and Herod couldn't kill James. James lives forever with Jesus, forever. Isaiah 57. I'm going to end right here as we go into the Lord's Supper. We don't usually, we miss verses like this a lot. The righteous perish, and no one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. When you talk about Jesus flips everything on its head, everything, he flips this whole chapter on its head, Jesus also flips death on its head. Death isn't the end anymore. Death isn't the ultimate curse anymore. Death is the beginning of life forever with Jesus. Death is rescue from a broken and fallen world. In Jesus. Herod's death is not that for Herod. James' death is that for James because James was trusting Jesus. And so I don't have all the answers about the mystery of how God works and when he works. I just can tell you this, that even when you don't see it, at the beginning of the chapter, they do not see it with James, and they say, we're going to ask him again anyway. We're going to trust him anyway. We're going to believe that he can rescue Peter anyway. And that's why we take the Lord's Supper together. If you want to open these. Because that's exactly what happened with Jesus. On Friday, it didn't make any sense. Not to anybody who had been walking with Jesus the past three years. Not to anybody who saw what happened. It does not look like Jesus is winning. When he screams, it is finished. That's not what they're seeing with their natural eyes. And from Friday... To Sunday, Jesus flips the whole thing on its head. Death isn't the end. Death is the gateway to resurrection. He doesn't just flip his death on its head. He flips the whole world on its head. For everyone who will ever believe in him, it's all different because he died for you. And then he didn't stay dead. He is the king of kings. He is the king who rules over death. He is the king who is alive and lives forevermore. That's why he can flip Acts chapter 12 completely around in a single chapter. Because he already flipped the whole universe around in a single weekend. 
That's what he does. That's who he is. You can trust a God like that. You can trust a Savior like that. You can trust a King like that. And you can pray to him for things you can't even believe because he's already done it. He already wins. It's already done. And so today we remember that. When you take this bread, you think of the body of Jesus broken for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. When you take this cup, think of the blood of Jesus, which he says is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. And do this in remembrance of him. pray with you right now. I'm going to pray for God to be doing this in our hearts, to stir up a prayer of faith inside this body right here like we've never known before. That today would mark a day where we started to pray in a way we've never prayed before because we believe God's going to do things we've never seen before. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And then we're going to worship together in song and we're going to thank Jesus for who he is and for what he's done. So will you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is a king like no other king. I pray that our hearts will be in awe of him today. And that that would stir up in us the type of faith that believes who you are and what you are doing and that we would dare to pray that we would be driven to pray for your work for your kingdom to come for your will to be done for your power and your spirit to be poured out and for your church to be built in us, through us, in your world Father do things that we can't even imagine to believe. Do things that will be unbelievable. And we will believe them only in the sense that we get to experience them and know that you've done it. Build your church. Move and work in our lives. Do this for your glory. May your glory be seen. May this be a place, may we be a people who exalt you and not ourselves. May your name be great and not ours. Father, answer these prayers and work in a way where that is what happens. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.